Hey there, beings. You are listening to the Self-Tivity Podcast. I am your self-investing storyteller, Danny Jessen. I'm a writer, a creative entrepreneur, but most importantly, a mindfulness advocate. For those who are new to this podcast, my goal is to merge mindfulness and self-love into our self-investing journey, as well as our entrepreneurial endeavors. Today, I have a special guest with me. Allow me to introduce. Are you ready? Hey there, Ben. You are listening to the Self Study Podcast. I am Danny Jessen, your self investment storyteller. And today I have a very, very special guest. I am so excited that I found this beautiful woman on YouTube and say, hey, can you come on my podcast? <laughs> I would love to have a conversation with you. I have Miss Asia Corinne. Asia Corinne is a podcaster, an anthropologist, and she is the director of the Pleasers documentary, which is available on YouTube. The Pleasers documentary highlights stripping and identity while addressing the dominant narrative that strippers are monolithic stereotypes society has positioned them to be. Did I say that right, right? Monolithic? Yeah, monolithic. You got it. Okay. Tell me about that because I didn't know what it meant. So if you want to go into what that means to you. But first, I want you to be able to share who you are in your own words. Tell us who you see Asia Karen as. All right. So, hey, everybody. Um, <laughs> yeah, so my name is Asia Karen. Um my name is very special to me, primarily because it's from an album, a Steely Dan album. My mom was like a really big Steely Dan fan, like in the 70s and 80s. So she named me after their album. So that's always been very special to me. I am a sometimes podcaster. I just get so busy. I don't really always have the time. An anthropologist, a filmmaker, director, and uh, I call myself like a scholarly ratchet, you know, because <laughs> people think that when you have an education, that you can't also be ratchet, but like, you know, yeah. you can be ratchet. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, that's just me in a nutshell. Um, I am a former stripper sex worker thinking about going back to stripping and uh, stripping changed my life. Yeah. You know what? I was going to hit on that. So you said this performer stripper in the podcast that I was listening to with you and your boo thing. Mm-hmm. Or I should say thing, your thing. What's your boyfriend? What did you say? You say boyfriend with a like... Or... You can call him... I call him my boyfriend, but for the purpose of the podcast, I wanted to make it cute. So I call it boyfriend. Boyfriend Wednesday. So it's kind of like matching. <laughs> so you were mentioning that, you know, you were a former stripper, but now you're saying that you're looking to go back into the industry. So my first question is, why did you stop? And then my second question is going to be, why are you going back? Um, so... The reason I stopped dancing was primarily because I was lying to everybody about it. And it started to kind of eat me alive after a certain amount of time. And I mean, my mom knew, my younger brother knew, and my best friend knew, but I didn't tell my boyfriend. Uh, We were at the point in our relationship where we had just started dating. So I didn't feel like what I was doing was any of his business. So I kind of danced for the first like year and a half of our relationship. And after a while, I kind of realized like, okay, I actually like this guy. Maybe we could be together because when we got together, it was just kind of like a, we're just dating. We're just hooking up. I'm not really in this for longevity. So I didn't feel like I owed him certain aspects of my truth. And I wasn't dating before we got together. So I started dating while we were already together and I knew he was going to have a problem with it. And my whole thing was like, you're not paying my bills. I got to do what I have to do. 
but it got to a point where I actually became uh, more attached to him than I planned on being. And I would leave his house and kiss him goodbye, all dolled up and ready to go like shake ass for 20 bucks, you know, in the lap dance room. And he would kiss me and be like, have great work. Because I came up with this whole backstory that I was a bartender, which is why I was like getting so cute every night and all these things, you know, securing my wig and everything. And um, it just kind of got hard to look into his eyes every night and then leave and go to the club someplace he didn't even know I was going to. And I knew he would have a problem with it and he's really just like maybe even the world's nicest guy just super kind not the kind of guy that would ever lie so it got really hard after a while and I was like okay let me try to tell him so he had taken me to school one day and um I was like hey you know I'm thinking about stripping and he flipped out he like lost it and then after that I was like okay so I'm gonna quit and I regretted it quitting and I've missed it since I stopped And the reason I'm thinking about going back is because my film company right now is all self-funded. And there was something for me like very sexually liberating about dancing. And it made me step into so many aspects of my feminine power that I didn't even know I had. And it, even though like it can be really hard, it did give me a lot of confidence. And when I was stripping, there was not a damn thing in the world I felt like I couldn't have, you know, (laughs) I'd walk into a room and harnessing certain sexual energy people can feel it radiating off of you and it doesn't mean like oh you know i'm gonna hook up with you for this amount of money or look at me everybody knows that i'm a dancer it's more like what i experienced was i just had this unspoken confidence that spoke to everybody before i said a word and i'm i miss that and i miss the money yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's funny to me because i'm probably like real green most of the time. But when I think about like the backlash that people get as strippers, I always find it hilarious because people always kind of get backlash for strippers in this in the case where it's like, you know, you're doing this for money and you're you know, uh, what do you call it? Uh, violating, violating your body for money. Mm-hmm. And every time people say that, I think about how people violate their body literally for money when they go to a job that drains the living soul out of them. Right. You know what I mean? But when you see strippers, they're usually having a good time. (laughs) You know, they're dancing, they're happy. But I would also expect that it's not like that for everyone, that the experience for a stripper is not all that it's liberating for everyone on the dance floor. Some people are in survival mode and sometimes it can be really dangerous. So have you had any experiences like that where you had to have a safe haven around you or were you ever in any um, predicaments where it's like, okay, I got to stop doing this because it's not safe, anything like that? Personally, I've never had an experience dancing where I didn't feel safe or I felt violated in the sense that uh, I couldn't sleep at night. Um, I have talked to a lot of women and I even have some homegirls who can't or have an issue separating who they are at the club versus who they are at home. And I've met women who feel so violated after dancing, even though that's their career choice, that they have to take 45 minute shower to wash all that energy off of them and just kind of refresh when they get home. But fortunately for me, I've never had a situation where somebody's ever tried to put their hands on me in the club. Men, 
10 women or employees or coworkers that I worked with. I've never had any issues or any drama. When I was dancing, I stayed super, super low key. I had a girl that did want to fight me, but it's like, girl, I'm not going to. <laughs> I'm not going to fight you. So um, I have had my friends tell me some crazy stories. Like China, even in the film, um, was speaking about how she left work and another dancer got stabbed by the wife of a customer. Mm. Fortunately, that's never happened to me. Yeah. So kind of taking your experience out of it, do you feel like when someone enters the industry to be a stripper or a dancer, that it's a gamble? Is it overall a field that is not for the weak? Or is it something that people have perspective on that are really screwed and it's not all what the media shares or what television shares about mm-hmm. dancing and stripping? Are you, are you following me? Yeah, so when it comes to media uh, portrayals of sex worker, that's always going to skew in a negative light because the type of society that we have is very horophobic. So they don't ever want to really highlight that there are positive aspects to sex work. It's almost like almost everything you see kind of reinforces the demonization that sex workers and strippers experience where their images and likeness are adopted and adapted for like media portrayals So it's like you go to a club and everything's really, really glamorous and it's really cool when you see that on TV. But media has like a way of portraying that as a glamorous thing while also demonizing the women who are a part of that culture and really making the shit happen. But I do think that you have to be strong in a certain sense to be a dancer. But dancing can also teach you strength. Like sex work can teach you strength. A lot of jobs out there can teach you strength. But when I first started dancing, um, I think that it was hard for me to set boundaries with men because the money was so important to me. I never really had men talk down to me super crazy or be hella disrespectful or anything like that. But sometimes it'd be awkward for me to tell them, please don't touch me like that. Or, hey, you have to stop this. It does get hard to set your boundaries, but over time, it is something that you learn you can do. And it becomes easier when you are reinforced by managers that care about you, co-workers and other dancers that care about you. When you work at a club that facilitates a like an environment and a culture culture of caring about everybody else, it makes it a lot easier in my experience to stand up for certain things because you feel like you'll be protected and backed by, you know, even security as well. Yeah. Mm. So walk me through the night of a stripper. Like, what is the experience like um, for someone who is not a stripper yet? It's like, no, you're joking. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I feel that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> No, but you ever, I know we've all had these moments and I'm probably, you tapped into it, but these, these moments where it's just like your bills are high and it's like, you're tired. It was like, if I could just dance and just make that money, <laughs> like yeah, it definitely has crossed my mind to be honest, because it's like, it just seems such, like you said, it's liberating, it's empowering. I would see that being the truth, but it's just also like it's the money, the sacrifice that you had, maybe I'm not sure. This is why I want you to kind of tell me, I'm thinking it's maybe one or two, three hours a night. And you can no. get somebody who's like a week worth of payment or tell me, didn't you tell me? Cause I don't know. You know uh, I, I really think, um, I really think it depends. It depends on what kind of club you work at, what the culture of that club is, the environment of that club, the patrons that attend the club. It, it really does depend. I've 
only ever work three hours when I'm like, this money ain't hitting, I'm going home. A typical shift might be like five to eight hours. I know some girls that dance 12 hours. I've danced from club opening to 12 a.m. before. So 12 p.m. to 12 a.m. I've danced in that amount of time before. It really just depends. But when you walk into the club, like say I'm trying to go get hired, right? I always try to like look nice and look super cute and presentable and everything. And the manager or whoever's there on the floor will be like, okay, you have to audition now. And some people don't audition you, but I've always got an audition where you go up on the stage and you do a dance for one song and then you take off some articles of clothing and then you do another dance and that kind of gives them a perspective of how your stage presence is. But when you go to the club and you're actually working there, there's this thing called a house fee. So you get in there, you go to the dressing room. I always went ready, like with my makeup and stuff, because I just want to put my clothes on and go. You let the DJ know that you're there so he can put your name into the stage rotation. I always worked with DJs who allowed me to choose my own songs. I don't think every DJ does that. And then at the end of the night, you make however much money and you have to pay the house. So when it comes to stripping and the laws are changing in a lot of places now, especially L.A., but in L.A. used to be considered an independent contractor. So you would go to work and they'd be like, if you come in at five o'clock, it's twenty dollars to work. Six o'clock, 40, seven o'clock, 80, basically. And so you pay that house fee out of whatever money you've made from the stage and from your dances. And some clubs take a percentage of what you make. So all your stage money is usually yours. So 100 percent of the money you make on stage if you went up there without a partner is your money. So somebody threw $100, that $100 is fine. Put it in my little stripper bag. And then I try to go to the crowd and pull somebody for a dance and be like, hey, do you want to, you know, dance with me? It's really important to have a good mouthpiece and smell good and be charismatic. A lot of the times I would like employ my British accent. So I'd be like, hey, like, oh, my name is Phoenix. Would you like to come dance with me? And like, you know, <laughs> people love that foreign shit. So <laughs> they'd be like, oh, wow, you're English. English. That's so cool. So I would pretend to be English a lot. Pull somebody into a dance and dance for 20 minutes or however long. And then however much money I make from that dance, the club counts it up. So if I did eight VIP dances or eight $20 dances, it would count it up and be like, okay, the percentage our club takes is 30%. So they would take 30% of my overall dances and I would take home 70% plus whatever I made on stage. There are some girls who ball out and make a lot of money every night. Personally, I've never made more than like a thousand or 1500, depending like Vegas and LA, but it, it just, it depends on where you go and how good you are at working. Yeah. So when you say you go in an audition, you don't really have your set place that you are, I guess, consistent contractor with. You have to keep finding a place to dance that are different or. Um, so when you audition, the club can choose to hire you or not. So some okay. clubs require, like, when you come in, if you're going to audition, bring your social security number or your card, um, bring your ID and look ready to dance. They put you on stage. If they like you, they'll take your social and your ID and put you into the system. And that becomes your club. So when you put that on to taxes, you just put it as dancer, as your profession? I don't actually remember that. I'm not going to lie. My mama did my taxes. So oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't remember. It was independent contractor. I think I put entertainment. Okay, okay. I think that's what I put on my taxes was entertainment. But yeah. And so what, is, what was your I know you when the podcast that I saw, it was the experience that you had with telling your dad. Mm -hmm. Was there what was the experience like with your mom? 
way easier. Like I tell my mom everything. She and I are best friends. So when I thought about dancing, I was like, mom, I'm thinking about stripping. And Uh she's like, you got the body for it. You know, she'll say (laughs) shit like that to me. So um, when I finally ended up doing it, she was very supportive. And I got into dancing to pay off debt. I've never really needed dancing or sex work for survival. And that kind of got to me over a while, too, because it's like, this is where I come from, middle class-ish, upper middle class family. And now I'm at the club. So it kind of gave me a lot of identity issues when I first started dancing because I felt like I was betraying my family, mainly my dad, in a way, because we used to be really well off when we were, like, younger, like, years and years ago. And then a bunch of shit happened and we lost that bag, you know? And now my dad is, like, kind of getting all of that back in a sense. And when I first moved out to LA, cause I'm from Atlanta, I didn't pay my own rent. You know, my dad was paying my rent for me. If I was going to school, he was paying my rent uh, up until a certain point. And so, yeah. <laughs> and so it, it always made me feel bad because I was like, damn, he's doing this, this, and this. And I'm out here shaking ass on the pole, dancing on strangers for $20. So it really messed with my self-image a lot at first. And then I realized, like, hey, I got to do what I got to do. Yeah. So, yeah. So the the mentality of I have to do what I got to do, because I'm, I'm listening to you and I hear that you said that you got into it initially because of debt and you continue because you had to do what you had to do. And, and now you're happy because you need it. So in the beginning... Was it just attached to money or did you find any fascination with it? Or why was it that dancing or stripping was the thing? Was it that you heard on the street corner, like they make a lot of money? Or was it something that she was like, I would like to try that and I can pay that? Walk me through that. I think I've always had like a fascination with sexuality since I was younger, like in high school. I've always done photography and coming right out of high school, I always wanted to take pictures of people like being sexual with their bodies, interacting with their bodies, people having sex. I just could never find anybody doing it. So I always had an affinity towards sexuality. And when I started as an anthropologist, that was my focus was uh, sex, gender and culture. I had always joked with my ex at the time, like, oh, you know, I'm going to go and bartend at a strip club, bartend at a strip club. And he was like, hell no, I know what happens when girls bartend at strip clubs. They become strippers. (laughs) And I was like, I promise I won't. (laughs) And, um, And then I ended up just doing it. And I didn't know anybody that was a stripper when I started. And I I just was like, damn, like I got so much debt. I'm not going to ask my dad to bail me out. Why do I have debt? He pays my rent. You know, like it didn't make sense to me. I was like, why do I have debt? Like, I don't really have any major bills. And so I randomly put an ad out literally on Craigslist. And I was like, hey, new to stripping, looking for a partner, please hit me up. And um, a girl hit me up and now she and I have been friends ever since. And she's oh, who really? I started dancing with, which is really sketchy, you know, because I could have really reached out to somebody I was trying to harvest my organs. But luckily, luckily it was a real woman. So that yeah. is cool. Mm-hmm. Where are the chances? Now, um, what is it that you think separates people from accepting stripping as just a part of everyday jobs, a job like Fred or an actor or a lawyer. What do you think it is if we took media out? Do you feel like it would still be this taboo if media wasn't involved? Or do you feel like people will always have this taboo feeling about sexuality and stripping and things like that? What's your take on that? 
Um, I think in any repressed, sexually repressed culture, there's going to be inherent whorephobia. And in our culture, especially, whorephobia is everywhere, especially in religious texts, various forms of literature. Everybody wants a woman to be holier than thou, keeping her legs closed seemingly. And what people don't realize is that sex work can be and is for a lot of people very healing work. And because people don't think that true healing can come from the exchange of sexuality or sexual energy, we don't assign any merit to it because we look at laying on your back, in a sense, uh, Mm -hmm. as something easy to do when being a sex worker can be very emotionally and spiritually taxing. I remember like there were nights where it was literally therapy for me, Uh, not for me. Like I was a therapist for somebody else. I would have customers come in just to tell me how much they wish that they married their high school sweetheart instead of who they're with now and would unpack all of these issues onto me and then, you know, bring me into the VIP for 30 minutes or an hour to talk about what they wish their lives were, how happy they are, or how unhappy they were with their wives, wishing that they had better relationships with their children. I've had men just come in to talk. I've had men come in just to rub my back and like smell my feet. <laughs> Literally, you know, there's always something. And I think that if us as a society can get to a point where we assign merit to healing in ways that are not widely accepted, then I think that it'll be a lot easier for sex work to be accepted and for sex workers to be respected. But you know, in our country, hates women, essentially, especially like what's going on with Texas with the abortion laws. And there's this relationship between women and ownership that men have and in our society, especially a man cannot stand to think about a woman. He perceives as what he owns, giving any of herself to another man. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's where it really becomes problematic. Yeah. It's interesting that you, you share that because ultimately men are the ones that's in the strip club. Mm-hmm. So it's, the because we can always say like it's a man's world and men but like this is how they put it in religion but they are the one that's keep buying into strip clubs you see them in there as you say you know wanting to speak to someone it's like it's the gateway for them or an escape mm-hmm. rather and then they're living this illusion or this box life outside of that experience that they're having so it really begs the that question of like why are you making it seem like it's a horrible thing when as a group of people, you guys seem to admire that it's the same thing with like social media. And if someone is on social media and like they're showing their body, whatever, you'll kind of see people say, you know, look at these women, they on here showing their bodies. But at the same time, they showing their bodies because the algorithm sent them your way because you're following them. So mm-hmm. it's because you see, I don't see naked bodies. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? I, I, I just don't see it. Like I'm looking at different things. So you got to sit there and ask yourself, like, you like it and it's okay for you to like it. If, you, if that's what you like, because there are people who are out here to serve for you in that particular way. And I also think that the taboo and the secrecy of it is probably what they also adore about it. And it's like, if we make it all normal, then it becomes something that is not that big of a deal. It's almost like how right. it is with alcohol for um, the youth in different countries. Like they're mm-hmm. exposed to it a lot quicker. And so they're not drinking and driving and having all these accidents. It's just, it's, it's normal as a part of the culture. So if, if we did something like that here, 
this part of the earth, it probably wouldn't be this big deal. That consciousness has to shift and change because it's sex, it's dancing. It's, we came in with naked bodies. We came yeah. in with naked bodies. So why are we so like, oh my God, I can see your body when it's just like, okay, it's, you know, like you can see my fingers and my hand and my toes. Right. And and I say this even with a heavy background in religion. And I and I had my my segue into different things outside of religion. And I look at religion as just someone had a thought and other people tagged onto that thought and then they became so strong and powerful that it became something that everyone or some people in this religion thought to be very true. Mm-hmm. But any religion comes from someone who had a thought and put it together. So this could easily be a religion, the, the liberation, the therapeutic points of it. I just find it to be a very um, interesting topic. And moving on to your documentary, The Pleasers, um, very well put together. Did you do all of that yourself, like the, the video editing, or did you write the script? Like, Tell us a little bit about your role in, in that documentary as a director. Uh, I started, it started off as a class project because it was an idea that I had after dancing. My battle with identity became something I would ask myself a lot of questions about. When I first started dancing, I was like, I'm not like the rest of you hoes. Like, I got goals. <laughs> you know, I'm going to college. The rest of you all some dumbass hoes. You know, I really thought that Kamari, the, one of the girls in the film, put it the best way, that she was an outsider looking in. Mm-hmm. But as she realized, like, she is one of these women, she became an insider looking around. And that is the best way to describe exactly what it was like for me. I thought I was the exception to the rule until I realized anybody that doesn't know me, that sees me in this club, is going to assume that I'm the exact stereotype that I came in here thinking that I wasn't. Mm-hmm. And so that really started to kind of, like, messed with my mind and it it gave me a lot of questions about identity so I came up with like okay I want to do something about this topic and so I came up with all these questions and then I went to school the next semester and I met my partner Allie and we were pitching around the room like oh who has ideas already first day of class like who has ideas already for a film and I was like me me over here I used to be a stripper what's up <laughs> I was like I used to be a stripper I want to do something called pleasers and it's about strip clubs and identity and blah blah and Allie was immediately like I want to be a part of that too because she used to you know bartend at clubs and experienced kind of like a form of preferential treatment because a lot of people that come into clubs they'll be like even to the bartenders you're not one of those girls and so it started off as a class project and she and I did a lot of the development together but as far as the post-production I and the production part I filmed it and I did edit it as well awesome job thanks you did I mean I could have been watching Netflix. Netflix. (laughs) That's my home. And that, because when you sent it to me, I thought it was going to look like a YouTube, but no, like you did a very good job. The way that everything was positioned, the questions, even their life stories um, and their perspectives were right on. Um, So see if you can get it to Netflix, get you some, some coins for it. Or do whatever because it was, I mean, and the topic is so interesting because everybody likes sex. Sex sells, you know what I mean? I think it, it sells because it's really how we all came in here. It's, it's about life. And I think we were getting away from that very simple fact is sex is how you got here. <laughs> you know what I mean? And we've hidden it in, in a lot of different ways from just natural living that it has now become this, oh my God, sex type of um reaction with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 
I just want to point out one of the lines that were said in the documentary. And I wanted to kind of get your take on it or what, or did you have a response to it or did it trigger to you? And if not, I'll, I'll share it with you now and then see what you will say about it. So one of the ladies in the documentary was sharing about her role in doing a dissertation. Um, mm -hmm. And she went to her professor and pretty much shared her insight. And the professor responded that they shouldn't do something that's disempowering. Don't do something disempowering to yourself to empower others. Mm -hmm. And she was like, dang, or why? Like, you know, she kind of responded in that sense. And I don't know, for some reason it hit um, a little bit with me or stood out in a documentary because, you know, we're talking about someone who was educated, doing a dissertation about it, um, has her experience. And the reaction is that it's automatically disempowering. And it kind of reminds me of how we as people, when we're interacting with other people, we always try to choose somebody's truth for them. Mm -hmm. instead of posing a question, why would you do that? You automatically said it was disempowering. Um, and I'm not saying that's a bad or good thing because, well, let me just stop right there. What was your, um, or do you remember that part of the documentary or remember yeah. that line? Literally, what? I've looked at it so many times, I could like recite the whole documentary from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. What is your um, take on what the professor said and how would you react to that if it was you? I understand where she's coming from, but I don't agree. It's just kind of like anybody that's an outsider to something won't necessarily understand how it can do you any good. I recently like literally got out of a relationship with my therapist, you know, like, cause you're forming that bond. Um, because I felt like she was a little whore phobic. Cause I was telling her, Hey, I'm thinking about going back to dancing. And she was just like, why, why, why? Like every, and it just made me feel like, well, girl, I don't need this. Like, I don't need this. <laughs> she was my therapist. Yeah. And um, I do understand why somebody would make that statement. If somebody that I looked up to said that to me, it would hurt my feelings yeah. because when you form a relationship with somebody that you can confide in, in that sense where you're like, Hey, I was a dancer. Cause not every dancer goes around and says, Hey, I'm a dancer. I'm a dancer because it's not always safe. And you don't want to be looked at as the college girl who's going to college through stripping all the time. Some people it works for some people it doesn't work for. So to open up to somebody and then immediately kind of have a door shut in your face or be made to feel rejected, that would really hurt my feelings. Especially if I was like a professor I looked up to and I, thought I was doing good for others and they told me like no you're not that would hurt my feelings it would really discourage me but there's a lot of discouragement that happens in this type of industry so you really just have to have thick skin at the end of the day and just like keep your blinders on and stay focused for what you know is best for you because if I had listened to my therapist I would feel some sort of identity shift because she'd ask me questions like, well, if you felt sad sometimes when you were dancing, then how come you're not going to feel sad again? It's like you feel sad in life every day. Shit happens. So um, I just think it, it really comes with navigating how much you let what other people say affect you. Yeah. So you did feel sad sometimes in dancing. Do you feel like it was related to dancing itself or just other things going on in your life? You know, sometimes it works in tandem. There would be times where me and my boyfriend would have a fight unrelated to dancing and I'd go to the club and wouldn't be able to work because I couldn't fully step into my persona because I was so occupied mentally and emotionally with other things. But yeah. yeah, I mean, like dancing for me, it was great. It was empowering. It made me feel great about my body. But 
I experienced a lot of racism in dancing, which is something people don't expect you to experience because they think a naked body is a naked body. But the guy that has a preference for white women or light skinned women is that guy that comes into the club and doesn't want to talk to you because you don't fit into that mold. So people take their preferences from the outside world and heavily apply it into the strip club because I'm here to get what I want. I don't go to Baskin and Robbins for mint ice cream if I'm there to get chocolate. And so like things like that, I understand, but it really did affect me. I've had clubs not want to hire me because they've reached their black quota. I've had men tell me like, I know, isn't that crazy? <laughs> the baby They'd be like, oh, like, like that. Black girls are pretty. Yeah, because when you dance at like a gentleman's club, they tend to be white clubs and the managers will say something like, oh, we're not hiring right now. When you know damn well that your light skin or your white homegirl just got hired two days before you. But the, and they'll also say something like, oh, we have too many black girls right now because they don't want it to become an urban or ghetto club. Mm. So I've heard that. I've been rejected by managers hella times. I have had uh, customers tell me that I'm too dark. I've had customers tell me that I'd be prettier if I was light skin. And growing up, I already had like issues with colorism growing up as a dark skin person and seeing the men in my life only date light skinned women. It became like a disconnect. So whenever somebody said something like that to me, it would really hit me even harder. And I experienced the most amount of racism in Vegas where people would come in from all across the world, like for conventions and the worldwide beauty standard is Eurocentric white. So these Indian men that I'm trying to talk to might not want to talk to me. And I literally experienced this with them and they were like, you're not white. That's not what we came here for. You get used to it, but there's some things that just never stop hurting. And for me, that was one of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I would imagine you would definitely have to have thick skin because as you said, I mean, I would expect men to come there with a, a preference um, for sure, especially because of the body type, I'm assuming that you would have to have a certain body type. They wouldn't just want people who were, what is the, well, I can't assume. What are the body types? Are they, do they vary or do you need to be a particular body type? It ranges. It really does range. And it's kind of up to like the club's discretion. I've seen bigger girls go up there. They don't do shit on the pole because they kill it on the floor or they'll have a regular that comes in all the time just for them so much so that it like they don't have to do any stage work. But it does like again, it's it depends on the culture of the club. Sometimes it's regional. Oh, in Atlanta, the women out there are thicker. Uh, it's going to be more rare that you see a skinny girl at the club. But I would say that in L.A., especially at like the white clubs or in places like Arizona, you're more prone to seeing littler women because, again, of like the Eurocentric body standards and shit like that. I've worked at clubs that, that were very like diverse, though, in uh, body image or body type. Yeah. When you say um, on the floor, is this something happened on the floor that's different? That's on a stage? or? Oh, yeah. Good question. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the stage, the DJ will be like, Phoenix, Phoenix, come to the stage. And you'll do like, I don't know, it depends on the club, like a two or three song set where you dance for two full songs, three full songs. And people will throw money at you on stage. You know how that goes. You sweep your money up and then you leave the stage and that's when you head to the floor. And the floor is just like where the people sit in the chairs, like in their little booths or in the individual chairs at the tables, at the bar, in the club. And you just, you work the floor, which is like you go around and you're like, hey, you want to dance? Like, hi, you sit in somebody's lap, you might touch their hair or whatever the fuck. And you'll ask them if they want to dance and that's the floor work. So I've worked with women who have had regulars They just come in, they get grabbed by their regular, they go into the VIP and you don't see them again for the rest of the night. Whereas I wasn't really that 
type of girl where I always got pulled into the VIP and you'd never see me. I fucking wish, but I wasn't. (laughs) Um, So, you know, there'd be times I'd have to get on stage. Somebody might fall in love with you while you're on stage. And then you pick that person and then you go to the back if they also pick you as well, basically. So when they go into these VIP rooms and you're on the floor, you're expected to do more than dancing. Um, no, you're always expected to do dancing. That's going to drive me crazy. <laughs> I know you can hear it. It's going to drive me crazy. I just heard, I just heard you do it. So that's what you're talking about. I thought it was like, maybe you hit it on the mic, but it's all no, good. It's a cat trying to get in here to be with me. <laughs> so what's the cat's name? We just call her Kitty. Kitty. We're almost yeah. there, Kitty. <laughs> My boyfriend got her. Yeah, we can oh, take her time. He just grabbed her, I think. Um, <laughs> but in the VIP, it depends. When you go to the back, uh, I used to dance at a club where they'd have like the $20 room, the $60 room, and then like the $150 room or something like that. And uh, you could go to a $20 room where it's topless. And then you can go into the VIP $150 room where like it might be full nude. Mm-hmm. but you're not expected to do anything else. Uh, there are people who choose to do extras. Mm-hmm. That's on them. That's none of my business. Mm-hmm. I never personally did any extras. I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with it. I have talked to a lot of women who don't like it because men then come into the club expecting every girl to do that. And I understand that aspect as well. But when I'm with my money, I just am only focusing on what I'm doing. But when I first started dancing, I did have a problem with it because I kind of want to say that I was uh, in a sense porphobic myself when I started dancing. Because as I was saying, I thought I was better than the women that I started with until I realized like, oh, I am y'all. Like y'all are my sisters. Mm-hmm. So I did initially have an issue with it, but yeah. some clubs I don't. Mean, it's ultimately their choice to whatever it is. Whatever choice, you know, we decide to make, it could be perceived as good or bad, but that's all relative to the individual and their experience. Because some people, they, they do things and it doesn't impact them. And then other people do and it has a heavy impact on them. So mm-hmm. um, I always think about the exchange of energy. Like be, I believe in energy. You know, I believe in that exchange of energy. Um, when you're, especially when you're touching other people or you have to touch them, do you ever practice anything where you're going to detox after the club to write, not just like a regular shower, like does it fit or maybe it doesn't feel draining to you. Do you feel draining with a lot of interaction and the taxing that you mentioned earlier of having to interview them? What Um, do you do in order to reset? Sometimes it would be a lot. It was really only a lot for me when I faced a lot of rejection or when I felt out of place in my club because there'd be times where it's too much of a party night and that's not the type of club environment that I feel like I work best in. I don't really like it when the club goes up and goes crazy and there's a lot of people pulling a lot of girls. That's very exhausting for me personally. I like it when it's like a chill night. There's a few people in the club, a few patrons in the club and I can just go pull from them because it does get emotionally taxing for sure. Uh, But I've never necessarily like had a ritual or did something where I needed to reset. If I had a good money night that was enough for me <laughs> you like the money I'm like I'm the fucking one so <laughs> um, so I never really felt like I gotta get this whole feeling off yeah. of me I would just go to sleep sometimes I'll cry myself to sleep if my feelings were hurt and then I wake up in the morning like okay it's a new day let's go get it yeah. And what I guess when from me hearing you, and this is just my perspective, it sounds like it was not necessarily the dancing experience or being a stripper that was what made you sad. It was just maybe some of those issues that you probably would deal with if you weren't a stripper. Like the, the racism um, is something that people might cry themselves 
self-esteem for if they weren't yeah. a stripper. And, and I only highlight that because a lot of times when you hear people talk about the disempowering that the um, professor mentioned, it's because they believe or think things like that. And that's why I even asked you that question myself is like, do you do any resetting? Because I would believe from my lack of, of knowledge of the experience that it would be a lot of energy exchange that I'm assuming for a lot of people would be taxing, but Again, it's for thick skin and it's not for everybody. And I think that's yeah. what someone mentioned in the documentary. And that stood out because it was like not for everyone. Always people always say X is not for everyone, like whatever it is that say motherhood is not for everyone or teaching is not for everyone. And that's what we have to realize when we don't agree with someone's lifestyle or their behavior is that it doesn't belong to you necessarily. If you are not the stripper, if you, there's no impact that happens to you, then why do you let it um, bother you so much that someone decided to choose that for their own life? So mm-hmm. I'm really thankful that you had came on and, and kind of shared your story. I thought, I mean, of course, I'm thinking, I'm thinking that it's interesting in the way that you are in your podcast. You just have an inviting spirit and so many good stories. You're a very good storyteller um, and very talented. I, I, even your podcast setup is so beautiful. And you. your boyfriend <laughs> he <laughs> definitely um, helped you with everything too. And that was a um, good podcast. And I, and I also wanted to say this to you. I would love for you to put more content out. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you're probably busy, but definitely put more content out. It's, it's very well put together. Um, I don't really watch like some. I mean, I watch stuff, but so, sometimes I like I do not watch them from the beginning to the end. And right, I right. do that with both of your pieces. And mm-hmm. it might just because of the, you know some Aquarius Aries things. I'm just trying to all that fire you got going over there. But very good content. Um, and I would love for you to share more of that. So. I know we talked a lot about your experience as a stripper and your stripper documentary. Is that your passion or would you say something else would be your passion outside of your identification with this topic? Yeah, like the whole Pleaser series and documenting and filming and hopefully, you know, working to destigmatize sex work while I uh, address sex work and identity is 100% like my passion. Um, Film in general, like it's funny because my mom is always like, I want you to be a writer or a lawyer because you're just so good at asking questions and coming up with things. And I'm just now recently like understanding you're right. Uh, I don't feel like I'm that great all the time at talking to people one-on-one. This is easy because I really like you. You're great. Oh yes, I like you too, girl. But sometimes like I'm in the house all day editing. If I'm not editing, I'm filming. If I'm not filming, I'm working on like my house, getting my house together and stuff like that. So I don't feel like I have as much outside human interaction as I would like. And sometimes I feel like that stifles my ability to communicate Mm. well with others and pleasers allows me to take the strongest parts of my personality, which are me being inquisitive and I would probably say me being ethical and I get to apply that to learning about people and meeting people. And it's just crazy that my life has come like full circle in this way because I only chose anthropology because I wanted to be a photographer and Mm -hmm. I wanted to be a photographer so I could work with National Geographic so I could study culture and people. 10 years later, pave my own way of how I'm going to do that. And you don't even realize that these things and these forces are working through you and happening for you until you get to a spot where you can like look back and be like, damn, when I was in high school, like I felt suicidal. I didn't want to live. And now Mm. I still battle depression in a sense where I go through like phases where I'm like, do I matter? Mm." Mm. And I'm really trying to anchor down and 
understand that I do matter. So it is crazy. It's crazy looking back on who I was in high school and middle school, where I was running around with people that reflected who I felt about myself Mm -hmm. uh, or as I felt about myself. And now I'm just like with all of these beautiful women who trust me with their stories. I had a a pre-interview today for the next documentary I'm doing. And I asked her a question I didn't realize was a sensitive topic. And she was like, oh, I'll tell you because I trust you. And oh my God, I cannot explain what that feels like to me. It's, It's so important for me to work ethically And in a way where women trust me so much with their identity that they know that I'm not going to exploit it for my own personal gain. It's just, it really, what I do means the world to me. That was so beautiful. Like I'm just um, downloading all of it because I'm hearing some things that I resonate with. This is the fact of like, do I matter? And I'm not sure when it happens for you, if it still happens for you, but I feel like there are people who are feeling it once in a while. And I have my theory on why we're all feeling depressed and things like that. Um, We're feeling anxious, like, but it's it's fascinating. And I I think the opportunity to, to connect is probably one of the most empowering things for me because it reminds me of, the fact that we do matter, but we actually have to be intentional about us mat- being matter, if that makes sense. And that, the reason why that stands out is because for you to say that, and you know, like you want to have that question, do I matter? And I'm thinking like, yeah, I love your work. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's just like, it's amazing to hear someone like you say that. And for me to think like, yes, you do. And it's like, but we all have that internally in our own little world thinking like, oh, you know, we're just dust on the ground or nothing matters. or All of this doesn't matter. All of this is fake. Sometimes it does feel that way, but at the same time, it's like, well, we've always been creating the world. So if we want to matter, we can create what matters to us. That's the whole thing about mattering <laughs> is that we have to make things matter, create our own matter and create our own truth and purpose instead of just wasting our lives away. Even if it didn't feel like there was nothing to live for, it's like, well, you can either go that way or you can go in a way that will make something to live for. But again, I just want to thank you. I want to go into the self too because I'm happy here too long. So I'll, we can no, start honestly, closing. I'm having a great time. We can keep going. <laughs> Listen, I want to be having you here all night, girl. You just don't know because I be talking. <laughs> I can't wait for you to post this. I'm going to take that sound bite and you're like, in order to matter, we have to create something that matters so that we feel like we matter. I'm like... Girl, <laughs> listen, and I'm listening to you and I'm just like, what? like it, it's so like, it was so impactful to have this conversation because to me, I'm trying to, I know myself, I'm, I'm kind of corny. I'm like a little cheesy and I'm, and I'm fine with it. You know I what I mean? That. I love that. <laughs> but it's like, there's things, there's topics that I want to talk about that people wouldn't maybe expect from me. But my purpose and to draw an attention to topics like this is to really get rid of that division that we have amongst somebody being right and somebody being wrong and just being aware. Like my big thing is mindfulness and mindfulness is just being aware, aware of everything um, that is happening around you. And these fights that we have about what is right, what is wrong, pro-life, pro-choice, pro-dance and pro-not, you're this and whatever, you're fat, you're ugly. I feel like that is what incites a lot of this depression that we're all having in this world. And so your contribution here today with you being able to share, because like you said, a lot of people won't share that they're dancers or that they were dancer or anything about that space or even have someone like me just like, so what do you do this? What that mean? You know what I mean? Um, they're here asking without feeling like, but I... 
thank you. I don't know if any of my questions were offensive or anything like that. And I want you to know that it was just, you know, I just want to learn, you know, I don't want to come from a place where I'm like, I don't know about it. Um, and I don't want to come off as, um, oh, this is dope. I mean, it is fascinating. I'm, I'm just kidding. It's just fascinating to me. I don't know why, but it's fascinating to me, not because it's stripping and it's dancing, because I always felt like whatever. But what's fascinating to me is that you're able to articulate this in a way where you're making your argument. And I, and for lack of better words, I'm saying argument, but I really mean you're discussing your truth because it shouldn't be really an argument whether or not this should be something that people should, should accept. It really should be a matter of if I accept it and this is my life, then let me be. If you align with it, you align with it. And if you don't, then go live your life. Like, I feel like that would be, if we could save the world, if we all just kind of like function that way. But of course we don't. And in order for us to get to the point where we can start having different conversations. We need people like you to come and, and give this perspective like you did. So anyone who's listening, um, please check out the Pleasers on YouTube, the Pleasers documentary. And I believe the series, what is the series called? I forget. The uh, the whole series is actually called Pleasers. The first okay. Pleasers because it's like a pilot. Um, okay. There's literally no better name for it. <laughs> <laughs> The reason I call it pleasers is because when you're dancing, you get shoes and that brand of shoe is called a pleaser heel. Oh, really? Yeah. And so that's kind of how I came up with it is like, you know, we're here to like please people. We're part of this fantasy. So I'm a pleaser. That's I'm coming here to give you a fantasy. And I'm also in my shoes, which are pleaser heels. So I named the whole series pleasers. And um, that one is just called literally pleasers because those shoes are very synonymous with dancing itself. Yeah. So that's why I named the first one that. Yeah. What is your take on um, getting into the virtual industry instead of, I guess, having to physically show up for people? Do you prefer to step on the scene or would you be open to doing any of the platforms that are available for you? Like, yeah. Um, only fans. Yeah, only fans. I think that's the only one right now. Or maybe just like porn sites, I guess. There's a there's a bunch. There's like OnlyFans, there's Chatterbait, there's all kinds of like webcam sites. OnlyFans is just like the one that really blew up. And I tried OnlyFans. I don't like it. Personally, I am I get more energy from being able to interact with somebody in person because it helps me be able to fully step into that persona that I've created to do sex work. Whereas when I'm home and you, you know what, actually, when you asked me the question about how do you decompress, I used to work really far away from my house because I didn't want anybody to know. So it would take me almost an hour to get home from the club. So I would use that time to decompress. And when I came home, I just shed that skin. I'd hop on the couch, watch a thousand ways to die or something and just relax. <laughs> Perfect choice. <laughs> yeah, relax and watch it. Right. <laughs> I love horror. I love horror and slasher films. I'm obs- I just I'm obsessed. Yeah. Um, and so when I tried doing like the OnlyFans thing, it just wasn't for me because I couldn't. I associate my home with me shedding that skin that I couldn't step back into it yeah. when I'm not being inspired by everything going on around me that forces me to step into it. And it always felt awkward. Like I was living with my brother at the time, <laughs> me, my brother and my boyfriend. So it's like, Hey guys, stay in the back. I'm about to do some homework. <laughs> that was just, it was weird. I couldn't get into it. I can't step into it knowing my boyfriend's around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
can't step into it. And then also I feel like online, I can't protect my identity as, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I can do it without my face, but I can't protect my likeness as much as I feel like I can in person. If I see somebody with a phone, I'm like, okay, security, this person has a phone. Whereas mm-hmm. online, you can screen record me, you can track what I'm doing. You can find mm-hmm. I just feel like there's some way somebody will figure it out, um, mm-hmm. especially when I was not out about it. I just didn't feel that safety because once it's on the internet, it is there forever. You can't mm-hmm. do anything about it. Whereas if I'm at the club and nobody's taking pictures of me, I left all that shit at the club. Yeah. So no, that makes absolute sense. Yeah. And it's just like, like active. emotionally, you have to type back and forth and talk to people online. And I really don't like being online like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, that that makes so much sense. I, I haven't, I didn't even think of it that way. Cause I, I mean, initially, and I bring it up because, you know, someone might think of this as a, a way of income, you know, online, everybody's kind of getting into the online industry. And it seems to me, I, I, I watched a documentary about OnlyFans and they were pretty much saying like how much they made and things like that. And I'm just like, and I'm saying here. <laughs> And and the thing is that, and the reason why it stood out because it wasn't that you had to dance all the time. Like some people were just, you know, just speaking really sexfully. Like, you know, you're just being sexy talking or maybe doing ASMR or just like sitting there even just talking to them. I I remember even before that came out, there was a lady who got paid a lot for just cuddling someone. And I'm just like, that is, you don't have to have sex with nobody. You just cuddle and you get that much money. That's interesting. It's amazing that people are making money in this way that is not taxing to them. And I guess it's going to be different for other people again. Like for the scenario that we point out here is that somebody could be coming here for student debt. Somebody, this could be their livelihood. The only way they can make it, you know, no education. And someone could be well-educated and just enjoy it and go back to it. So it's the same in the corporate world. And somebody could just be surviving. You know, someone can actually like their job and want to be there. And then someone could just, I forgot what my other example was, but you get what I'm saying. Like they basically, they marry each other and we can kind of find those ways that they unite the same thing um we might not find it to be so oh my god okay now it's time for self activities okay <laughs> so the first self activity game i'm going to describe to you i'm trying not to be long-winded because i'll be talking Don't worry. all right the game is based on ted talks so ted talks are you're familiar with ted talk and how it has like technology and things like that so i made it my own ted talk because i haven't got on ted talk yet i'm, I'm waiting to put my, my thing together but i'm still like nervous about getting on stage so you know perfecting but i wanted an opportunity for myself and for other creators and beings to have their own type of ted talk in a mindful manner um but with my topics it's not technology or entertainment um it's it's called danny dividends so it's like instead of a TED talk, it's Danny Dividends because I use investing as like my theme for my show. And um, so I'm not sure. Have you did, have you done investing or are, are aware of like investing or dividends or things like that? Like crypto and stuff? Um, well, crypto or buying stocks, things yeah. like that. Like basically a company who has profit um, over a certain amount of time. They sometimes they pay out dividends to their stockholders. Um, sometimes it's monthly, sometimes it's quarterly, but basically they, they make some profit and they give it to people who have invested in them. And so my point of these Danny dividends, is like something that happened in your life that you can apply and then pull back to people that they can either take stock in it or they don't based on your idea, right? I know it's real, <laughs> I'm just getting <laughs> Like, I'm not going to be making up stuff, girl. I'm like, damn, you thought thought too much about that. So the way we play it is I'm going to put a minute on the clock, right? 
and you are going to give your Danny dividend. It's the audio version, you know, instead of getting on the stage. Because for me, I feel like I'm, I can be introverted sometimes. So I can get my essays out if I record them instead of like getting on stage so I can practice. So I'm going to start doing these. And if you ever want to come back and do a, a 10 minute or less, 10 minutes or less essay on there as a Danny dividend, you can about your information on identification yeah. with sexuality and stripping. But yeah. we can talk about that later. What you're going to do today is I'm going to put a minute on the clock and I'm just going to give you a random word and you can make anything of that word to fit what your message is for the people today. Okay. okay. After I give you the word, you get 15 seconds okay. to kind of think about what it is that you want to say. It be anything, whatever message you want it to be, but you only get a minute on the clock to open it and close it and have your punchline, you know, for your Danny dividend session. Okay. Does that make sense to you? Or you're like, so much sense. I'm trying to think about what I'm going to say. <laughs> Okay, so so you have to use the word that I give you inside of your Danny dividend somehow. I'm going to give you the word in like four seconds. Okay. You get 15 seconds to kind of like merge that into your, your thing. It could be at the end, in the middle somewhere, but you got to use it at least once. Okay, that, got um, you got that? Okay, yeah. All right, so let me... I'm freaking out. It's like, I love that concept. Damn. Okay. I'm ready. All right. <clears throat> okay. Got one. Ready? The yeah. word is accidents. Okay. So you have to use that word somewhere in your, in your um, Danny dividend. Okay. And so you got 15 seconds. And now I'm about to put the clock on and then you'll hear the timer go off. Okay. So I'm starting now? Yep. Start now. Okay. So I want to say to anybody out there listening that... Sometimes life feels hard and it feels like you're the only person going through whatever it is that you're going through and you feel like maybe the stepping stone that you took five years ago isn't going to matter five years in your future. But what I've come to learn is that life is just full of happy accidents and I feel like that's the universe or whoever you believe in working for you, through you and hopefully it'll be able to come full circle if you listen to that and you let that domino effect continue because one day it might all pay off and you might be someplace that you never expected you to be and uh, you're not alone and feeling like you're alone. Does you gotta go to the end. <laughs> and you're great and you're worth it and I love you. <laughs> Sorry. I should have mentioned that first. <laughs> oh my goodness, yes, yes. <laughs> I was like, I did it, and I beat the clock. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I should have mentioned that part. Like, you got to use your full minute. Okay. Maybe you did. I was just so excited to do it that I forgot. Okay. No, no, I didn't. I didn't mention it. I didn't mention it. But that was awesome. Thank you for playing with me. I'm I'm, I'm just a, a full of games, <laughs> full of thoughts. So I, I, love, I love when people participate and give their all in it. So to close out, before everyone, before you share with how people can connect with you, if you want them to, um, or you want to share anything with the listeners about your projects or your upcoming projects, I would love for you to share your self-tivity statement. And for those who are listening for the first time, a self-tivity statement is a particular formula. It is not only an affirmation, but at the end of your affirmation, what is your support in 
action that makes that affirmation come to life. So whatever it is that is your support and action should be something that you can push your hands on and do initially to get that affirmation rolling. So Miss Asia Karen, what is your self-tivity statement? Um, my self-tivity statement affirmation is that I'm going to keep pushing on pleasers and keep providing a platform for primarily women sex workers to tell their stories from their own perspectives because I feel like the only way to change a narrative is to be a part of controlling it and that I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure that these people that I care about so much have a platform because I don't feel like Pleasers is about me. It's about me being able to do for others who are in this situation and who are in sex work. So I'm just going to keep reaching out, keep being ethical and keep being a hard worker and keep being kind. And those are the things that I feel like I am able to put my hands on to make my affirmation real. Oh, I love it. All right. (laughs) I love it. And you had some intentional stuff in there. Mm -hmm. Keep reaching out, keep being ethical. Like those are supporting things. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. This was great. Oh my goodness! I had I knew, I could feel the fun I would have with you or from just watching you on your podcast, which I would suggest you guys watch the episode that she has available and just wait for her to create when she wants to create. I'm not gonna put no pressure on you, but definitely was a good investment of my time. Like I just I don't know. I think that's one of the things I feel we should be doing. We should just be able to experience one another, experience the greatness in one another, and um. You definitely have something very, very beautiful within your spirit that I resonated with through the screen. Um, And so I would love to see more of your work. Please tag me or send me a message that you got just out and I would definitely be like on it because I found just the two. I mean, you had, I think I'm saying this a lot because the two things that I watched both of them were over 40 minutes. And like, I watched them. Um, when I say I watched them, I watched them like I was binging a show on Netflix because I enjoyed it. Every bit of it, I enjoyed it. And um, so I just want to say thank you for being here. And I'll leave the floor to you to let anyone know any of your projects or anything you want to share with them um, and to close us out with whatever you want to say. Awesome. Oh my gosh. Well, one, I want to thank you so much for listening to my full podcast and watching the full film. That means so much to me. I mean, I don't really post the podcast for other people in a sense. I do hope that people see it and hope that it helps. I just posted one about like having anxiety and feeling alone. And so it really means a lot to me that like you watched it and you connected with it and then felt like I was an open enough person for you to reach out to, to connect with again, like on a deeper level. Like that means so much to me. Especially I grew up like as a loner. I never really thought people liked me. I never really knew how to communicate. So feel it just means so much that I was able to have this conversation with you. And I'm having such a good time. I feel like we homegirls now. We keep keeping <laughs> For real, listen. Listen. And you'll be like, where do you live? Let's link up. <laughs> right. You know, listen, listen. But you're all the way in LA now, right? You no longer in Atlanta? No, uh, I'm not, but I come to Atlanta a lot. If you tell me in enough time, because I'm in North Carolina, so it's not too <laughs> far from me. And I always want a reason to go there. So yeah. If you don't need enough time, we can meet up. We'll link up for sure. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right, right. No, for real, for real. And if you feel like that, just know that because I I see and and it could be what resonate with me is that I felt like I was I didn't really connect with a lot of like 
people in my culture or whatever. And um, and so sometimes it, it did feel like, I mean, I talk to people, you know, me talking, but you still in some case feel like a loner when you feel like you might not be able to connect with people. But that's what the internet is for sometimes. It can be a good place because then you're like, oh, there go my homegirl. She right there. <laughs>